The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 123124. Excludes tax must update rewards. Hello, Internet. Roto World's Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Uh, as you know, we've been going through each position group. We hit the running backs with Grant Barfield, the wide receivers with Matt Harmon, the quarterbacks with Matt Waldman, the tight ends with Evan Silva. Um, and I thank you for listening to those and for all of you subscribers and especially those who rated and reviewed the podcast. You know, if you want to hit pause on this one, take you 20 seconds. Even a five-star review would be great. It really does help us out, reach new people, new audience, all that jazz. I think right now we are at 69 reviews. So if you want to make it 70, that's fine. 69 is not a bad number, though. Um, Today's episode, since the NFL Combine is really here, um, and the on-field portion begins soon, I thought that, at least in my opinion, one of the most important aspects of the Combine for measurements and measurables is for edge rushers, pass rushers, defensive linemen, all that good stuff, because it really is um, put them. It really does put them in an advantage of you know having more athleticism than their counterparts. It really is a one-on-one matchup in many ways. So this person on the other line is half of the Setting the Edge podcast. Um, he creates, writes up, imagines all the force players in each and every draft. Um, and I think he was like a high school center, if I'm not mistaken. Not in the football team, obviously, if you've ever met him. On, on, excuse me, not in the basketball team, but on the football team. Um, it's Justice Mosqueda. What's up, Justice? How you doing? Not much. Just enjoying this uh, Tuesday afternoon with you. Yes, it is Tuesday. On-field portion of the Combine begins on Friday. But Justice, for you, the most important day is Sunday, correct? Because that is defensive line, edge, linebacker, all those good athletes at those spots yeah i mean if you want to you can go as far as say the best athletes in the sport honestly because <laughs> the, I mean, the only position that pound matters for pound, pound for pound i mean pound for pound there's no better athletes in in uh in the nfl than defensive linemen and pass rushers so i just quickly wanted to get and again your twitter handle is at jumosk j-u-m-o-s-q which is weird to say it out loud it's super weird. I was yeah. also raised Catholic, so it's like okay. triple weird. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I wanted to get to maybe expand on your on your first point and why it is important for these edge or defensive linemen to be good athletes. And I, I mentioned that just from my basic understanding and thought process, having an advantageous skill in a surefire and maybe in any other situation one-on-one matchup it really does put you a step ahead of your competition right so if you're thinking about so just athleticism in general right 
what we're measuring at the combine is a lot of turning, bending, stop, start, and I guess long speed, right? And all of it's in a straight direction. Um, there's really only two positions that from the jump of the ball, you get to go shoot off and basically the other side has to react to you and that's receiver, right? Or wide out, whatever it is. Um, and on like line of scrimmage defenders, whatever you want to call them, right? Cause that includes interior guys that includes edge rushers, all of that. Cause if you're thinking about athletic measurements, what you're, what, what you're really trying to do is like forward explosion, right? That's all the combine test. There's no, there's nothing at the combine for that at least timed, right? That judges offensive linemen or cornerbacks who do a lot of like your chest is to the ball and you're moving backward, right? Uh, movement. So that, that I think that's one reason why, and I don't think it's wrong why uh, like defensive linemen and wide receivers. There's such a stress on combine measurables. So for the edge rushers or defensive linemen, pass rushers, I guess we should say, because as you always point out, um, pass rushing is what matters most for these types. Um, right. Obviously, defensive linemen into your guys, stopping the run is important, but you get on the field if you rush the passer predominantly. Um, what are you looking for in these position groups? Because as I've seen you section it off, it's kind of the change of direction, shorter your quickness types that are – either three cone and 20 yard short shuttle, or there's your explosive in a straight line types that might be, you know, 10 yard with vert and broad jump as well. Yeah. So if we're just talking about edge rushers, really, if you're rushing the passer, cause one setting the edge isn't hard. Like it, honestly, if you're a C gap defender, right on the open side of a field, on the open side of a formation, um, if you're, if your job is really only just keep your outside shoulder clean, hey, don't let that offensive lineman come down on you, right? Like, don't let him reach you, right. just beat him. And you're more, nine times out of 10, you're more athletically gifted than that offensive lineman that you're going against anyway. So, like, run defense is, <clears throat> you don't want to say run defense is, isn't worth anything, right? But run defense is incredibly overrated. Like, and it's you, not a 50-50 You can find split. guys who stop the run much more frequently than you can pass rushers, I would argue. Yeah, because you want to find like you want to find like find like a three four defensive end like a true five tech. You can do it, and he's on the street right now. Exactly. Like you, you can go after those guys. Pass rushers. I mean, Mario Addison just got that seven and a half million per right. Right. And we're gonna get to him in a little bit. Um. So, and I, I I guess the right direction to go here is also discuss weight and how weight is a factor in all this. Right. Um, because I remember a few years ago when Randy Gregory was going through this process and even, I mean, there was a big conversation with Vic Beasley, right? That right. Uh, he showed up at what, like 260 pounds, was it? Um, so, something like he was like 15 pounds heavier, heavier than, than anyone thought he was going to be. Meanwhile, Randy Gregory shows up at 244, like an off ball linebacker. So right. what, why is um, weight and maybe even height also important in this discussion? So I think a lot of it, it's it's not even so much just weight and height. I think it's density because what okay. you really should be measuring in this, right, um, to get some level of force, right, uh, like you should be measuring density because what you're measuring when you're going through the three cone and things like that should be like body control through contact, 
and that's what that'll give you if you use it if you look at all these measurable all these drills through the scope of density that's essentially what it'll give you and that's a lot true like i mean people talk about like a 10 yard split and how a 10 yard split is super important for like pass rushers and things like that and to some extent that's true right and how that's more important than a 40 yard dash but you're not getting 10 free yards of rushing right. if you're a pass rusher. Like everything, everything is through the context of you're going to have to go through contact at some point. And that's why density matters a lot. If you look at J.J. Uh, Watt's combine, right, and everyone's like, J.J. Watt's combine is amazing. And it is for his size. If he was 230 pounds, it would not be great. Right. Um, I've seen you and your co-host, Charles McDonald, talk about this. Like how many steps it's, it's um, preferred to get to the quarterback, like on your third step, you then kind of want to start turning the corner because you see guys in this class, I won't give examples because maybe we'll get to there later, um, who have who, who seem to be athletic, right? But they have no right. flexibility. They don't understand pocket depth in terms of needing to get the quarterback. They can't turn the corner. So then they're just running around the pocket. And running around the pocket now does absolutely nothing because these tackles are taught to – completely just wash them away and then the quarterback just steps up right um it depends a little bit on your stance because really what you should be in a, in a, a four three defensive end rushes the passer every single play uh three four outside linebackers don't and they have to kind of disguise stuff a little bit right but there's a reason why three four uh defensive ends step with their inside foot first and it's mm-hmm. because if you're a c-gap defender really what you want to do is you want to pass your inside shoulder past that offensive tackle and put them behind you right like the rip moves all things like that um bending all of that has to do with just passing that inside shoulder you know beyond that offensive tackle um and really you should be able to uh we've talked about this before we're like offensive line play for the most part um you know you you don't know the play call or anything like that right we don't no one knows the play call no one knows the exact protections but for the most part if an offensive lineman's butt is pointing at the quarterback he's in sync with the protection and once you get him out of sync uh that's when you can make a move if he oversets outside that's when you see inside counters like spins swims all that stuff uh jadavian Clowney was great at that because he was explosive off the ball would get guys overset outside and then he'd just come back inside um there are other guys who could just blow past outside and you know if he's filming the opposite sideline right uh you that's when you use your rip move and that's when you get you know that's when you're able to bend show your bend all that um really you should be able to get a offensive tackle out of position within your by your second inside step you should be able to get him out and that's why athleticism matters so much is you have to win in two steps basically three steps um, and what I'm kind of hearing is that really some great pass rushers might only have two moves, uh, explosion, yep. speed to the outside, and then just a counter off of that. I mean, Dwight Freeney is well known for his inside spin move off of that. Um, maybe Charles Harris in this draft class as well. Right. Yep. That's why uh, I think, I mean, Dwight, Dwight Freeney's a little bit on the, the older side of the spectrum, right? But, but I think he's still a guy doing it. Right, he's still he's still doing it. It's limited rest, but he's still doing it. He did it a lot for Atlanta uh, down the stretch when they had uh, Derek Shelby and Adrian Claiborne both hurt. Yeah. Um, he had to play a bunch of reps down the stretch. But I think one guy who's like that is like uh, Everson Griffin in Minnesota, and mm-hmm. he took a while to develop. He was a fourth round guy, super athletic coming out of USC. Kind of took him some time, late bloomer for sure. Um, that's that's one guy who I think yeah, Charles Harris out of out of Missouri. That's that's who I think his ideal uh, comparison is is Everson Griffin because he can just he plays that inside outside game, and when you have explosion, you have a counter move man that's really all you need in the nfl um and you since you mentioned the vikings i will say that i think in some ways the poster board of force players should be Danell hunter um right. and i know obviously some of the best 
pass rushers are the highest paid ones tend to be force force players and ones with first round hits and the misses. And there's a drastic difference between those are force players and those are not. Um, but Danelle Hunter was someone who we did term as just a run defender, but tested like an athletic freak and then hit yep. all those thresholds that you're looking for. And then has, has turned into with some coaching involved, obviously a, a, a quite a nice pass rusher for the Vikings at a reduced price. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota, it really does seem like Minnesota knows what they're doing. Um, I mean, Everson Griffin and Brian Robeson, I know it wasn't necessarily the same staffs and all of that. Right. Um, but those guys were probably the, like two of the four best fourth round pass yeah. rushers in the past decade. Um, they landed those two Danell Hunter in the third round, uh, af- after, uh, Justin Houston, he might have a chance to be the second best, you know, third round pass rusher, uh, in the past decade. Um, and I mean, those are the three guys, and they just roll out those three guys. I mean, they took Anthony Barr, moved him to to outside outside linebacker, but they kind of play games with him, let him blitz a little bit too. Um, they very much are pro pro athlete, just kind of across the board. I remember last year, uh, NFL.com had uh, that what was his name, uh, Tyrone Holmes, the defensive lineman out of Montana, who no one knew about. Um, he wasn't a combine invite. He blew up at uh, the um, Montana's uh, pro day. And he ended up getting drafted in like the sixth round or something like that. And Minnesota's defensive line coach was kind of put his name out there and was like, yep. this guy's a good dude. It was like instantly it was like, OK, he's going to be a draftable guy. You briefly talked about it, but we really should discuss four, three versus three, four a bit more, because I right. can't tell you how many questions I get of does this guy fit in a four, three? Does he fit in a three, four? And I'll, I'll say this. I'm, I'm glad we've kind of progressed the conversation of edge in terms of defining edge pass rushers. But there still is a difference between four threes, I mean, in terms of just four three, and the difference between three fours and not even a comparison between the two. Um, I'll say this, and I, I know where you're going to go with this. You're going to talk about how in four threes and three fours, they're really typically, on the highest percentage of times, are only four people rushing, right? So right. In, in some world, it, it might be a four two or a four three no matter what, right? Um, right. But I'll say this. I, at least from my chair, and I'm no expert in this, I'll even say that, but I, I think that in those three fours where there are four people rushing, the other outside linebacker, or, or at least one is more of your designated rusher and one is mm-hmm. your, your not designated drop guy, but your preferred drop guy in those situations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's absolutely how that turns out. We were talking uh, on the podcast Two weeks ago, I want to say, was Stephen White who played defensive line for the Buccaneers, and that's kind of his point. Was like, man, like we talked about pass rushers, and it's kind of cool that we just see pass rushers as pass rushers now. Yep. But the idea of every tweener is a three-four outside linebacker—that's not necessarily how this works. I mean, uh, Noah Spence, with like absolute tweener, right? I mean, checks every box of tweener, and he plays three-four defensive end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he was drafted last season. Three-four um, defensive end. Or uh, four three defensive end. My bad. That's all good. I get them mixed up. Yeah, dyslexia a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people don't understand that you're not sending five every single play, and right. you're not dropping those three four those three four defensive linemen or anything like that. The advantage of a three four defense is you don't know who is going to come, which is why certain teams like Arizona and uh, the New York Jets, right, and even Buffalo to some extent, right, when they they had Rex Ryan. Um, they played a 3-4, and it wasn't even necessarily like – those outside linebackers were more of drop guys than they were pressure guys because they would send inside linebackers and things like that. It's yeah. just – it's a defense where you're able to disguise a lot more, and 3-4 defenses, at least true 3-4 defenses, right, um, they play a lot more too high. So every, everything is just built a lot more around disguise, which is also why 
three, four outside linebackers kind of have a disadvantageous uh, stance. Yeah. With your inside foot up, you should be stepping to contact because your inside shoulder, you want to pass your inside. It doesn't matter how deep your outside shoulder gets, but you're stepping with whatever foot is back first. Um, but if you need to drive off of that inside foot to push outside to drop into a zone, um, it's going to be a better, you have a better shot of doing that with your inside foot up than it is back. That's why I think three, four, or, uh, four three defensive ends really are, closer to pure pass rushers than three, four defensive ends are because run defense just isn't that hard in today's NFL where you're playing on the open side a lot. And now four threes aren't even like your typical four threes, at least with, you know, the growth of Seattle's defense in many ways. I mean, they went to Atlanta and now they're going to San Francisco um, because that four, three from an alignment perspective in many ways is comparable to a three, four, what people consider a three, four, I guess, are there even, and and maybe I'm not going to try to put you on the spot here, but are there even like enough talented players at those positions um, since it kind of is a unique uh, defense that those teams are running, at, at least at its highest level? Are there enough hot, talented positions or players at those positions for those like enough for three to succeed, if that makes sense? Well, I think it can in base, right? Because in base, they're running an under, which isn't like a lot of three, four teams are running under fronts like if you if you look at what green bay does in their base defense it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of like what seattle does right um what they do in their third down packages that's not something i think that everyone can replicate because i mean seattle will roll out and they'll have frank clark uh michael <laughs> bennett cassius marsh line up in the a b and c gap and then opposite of it it'll have cliff Averill. right um that's one reason why atlanta you saw him invest incredibly in uh adrian claiborne who is a guy who ran a bunch of stunts with vic beasley last year and then they started using him as like a pressure d tackle and then they brought in Derek shelby from miami and they were like yeah it's cool to have like you know we're we're, we're overpaying for a third rusher and we don't really have a second rusher but on third down we're lining up four guys and we're running crazy stunts yeah. um and that that seems like a cool idea but like you go down to Atlanta where they got Vic Beasley, right? And we see how that we saw how I mean, even the Super Bowl, we saw how that turned out, right? Like, I mean, Dwight Freeney had had the best game out of out of all, all of those, those pass rushers, yeah. but Tom Brady wasn't really getting pressure outside of like Grady Jarrett, who plays you know nose tackle mm-hmm. for him. And you look at Jacksonville, I mean, they hit on Yannick and Guyway, but um, but like they don't, if you don't have four guys, right? Like that that's kind of getting exactly. Get so I wonder how that works out in San Francisco because the only guy that is even. A half decent pass rusher is Aaron Lynch, and yep. he was suspended last year and then <laughs> kind of vanished. So. Yeah, and then that's not even factoring in, you know, long corners on the outside, and that's not even factoring in, you know, right. like a center field safety. You need that center field safety. That <laughs> right. center field safety changes. Earl Thomas changes everything. I don't I know. think people are kind of freaking out. Like, people are just like, yeah, we'll just play like the Seattle defense, and it's like, okay, well, you got a pressure with four, and you got to get a dude in the middle of the field who can cover half of the field. Yeah. So, like, if you can have those two things, that's cool, but. That defense very much will tell you exactly how talented you are. It's it's funny talking to all those Seattle guys because, um, like I've talked with Zach Whitman a lot, and and obviously everyone knows Seattle connected to Spark, but he even thinks right. they're kind of moving away from that in many areas because so many other teams are catching up to it that they don't find that there's a competitive advantage there. Like you look at the running backs that they brought in, other than maybe mm-hmm. CJ Procise, but like Thomas Rawls, um, a few other, Alex Collins. Um, there were a few others that are just, you know, they weren't great athletes. Um, right. And, I mean, you even saw their offensive line spots in some positions and so on and so forth, right? So they might not be as invested in those spark areas and, and kind of looking for a, a competitive advantage in others. Um, I do want to talk about some defensive linemen in this class. And obviously, 
I always want watch the Carolina Panthers every Sunday, and this kind of circled back in my memory because they're picking at number eight. And despite being or having a high number of sacks last year, I would say that a lot of those were manufactured from the Panthers' perspective. And so defensive line talent is absolutely something they need to add on to, but not necessarily interior talent. So my question is this. You have guys like Jonathan Allen, Solomon Thomas, and Malik McDowell. Um, right. None of them, at least from my vantage point, are like your perfect edge rushers that you know you can just leave on the outside and let them rush constantly from that spot, right? And you'll right. get high productivity versus the run and versus the pass. I mean, at some point, and they all moved around a lot, right? And I mm-hmm. would even argue, and I think there is an argument, that all of them, their best pass rushing snaps at the NFL level will probably come from the interior. I think McDowell has the best chance of being from the outside. Um, right. So if you were to interpret that scenario, um, do you agree with me? Do you think that that might be an issue for them at number eight? What about it? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I I agree with you kind of on every front. I mean, for uh, Bleacher Report, we did the NFL 1000 grading. So I ended up watching your Carolina Panthers grading their uh, defensive ends every single week. Um, and I agree. They, they need help. They need help on the edge. Um, but I, I think you're totally right. I mean, Jonathan Allen probably played on the edge more than Solomon Thomas and Malik McDowell. And he's probably got like 20 pounds on those two guys. Yep. And I mean – Solomon Thomas was a guy who people really didn't understand this because I'm out on the West Coast, so I watch a bunch of Stanford games anyway. Not not 2016, but 2015 when Solomon Thomas was a redshirt freshman. Uh, Stanford brought in a I think he was a Cal transfer. He's from he's from Oregon actually, um, and uh, like they had a four man rotation in that three four defense, and Solomon Thomas basically had to play every single rep. Like he was playing nose tackle, like hmm. straight up. Like I'm the starting nose tackle on this team right. as a redshirt freshman, and he's being considered a you know edge prospect now. Um, Malik McDowell, you can go watch him against Michigan. He's lined directly over nose. the center, and just yep, and, yep, and just rushing him. Uh, Solomon Thomas is kind of interesting because he's a guy who you can clearly tell is explosive, right? And he's clearly athletic. Everyone looks more explosive inside. That's one thing. Um, but like he has no move other than a swim, and that's cool when you're Aaron Donald. But Solomon Thomas is like he's probably he might come in six two flat two seventy. Uh, he's not a he's not a three technique. He's not an under tackle by any means. Um, some people call him a five tech. Like he's going to be playing uh thir- you know thirty four you know odd front uh, defensive end, and I don't think that either. I think he's going to play outside. But you clearly have to teach him a bunch of stuff. Malik McDowell's got heavy hands. Um, I kind of agree with you that if you're if you're going to hang out a guy outside every single rep. Uh, who's going to succeed more? I think Malik McDowell out of all three of them would. But, right. I mean, you look at first-round mocks, and Malik McDowell's not even in half of them. Yeah, and, I mean, he gets the stigma of, well, and he did leave the team halfway through the year, right? So, right. obviously, that's on the table. But he gets the stigma of, like, taking plays off. I mean, I saw a really good motor out of him in a lot of scenarios. Um, and especially, like, his natural anchor. You talked about him taking on double teams. I mean, I think he's much better at taking on double teams from that interior spot than Solomon Thomas is. Oh, easily. I mean, that that's yeah, that's that's another thing too is people are kind people got very excited about Solomon Thomas after that bowl game against and I still am, man. Well, he he's good. He's good. Like don't I'm not arguing with that at all. Like he's probably going to end up in my top. He's he's going to be a top 5 guy or top 10 guy for me. Right. Um, but like 
there are some very clear issues with Solomon Thomas where people are like, he's a plus run defender. I'm like, well, you just compared him as like, you know, like we were saying, some people are some people are saying that he's going to be an odd front defensive end. I'm like, he's getting five get driven off the yard off the ball by five yards. It's like, I don't understand what people are seeing on that one. Like he he does not handle double teams well at all. He doesn't handle combo blocks well. He's a guy that you want to line up in space and he'll try to win one on one matchups, but he's doing that on the inside where, you know, it's a smaller, it's a shorter path to the quarterback. You know what I mean? And you're going against worse athletes in space. So, of course, you're going to look better there. It also um, it also seemed like he lined up at the 4-I spot a lot. And a lot of people, like, only talk about prospects as 1s, 3s, 5s, right. and 7s. Um, can you kind of talk about the importance or, I guess, the rec- and recognize it, that there is this I spot, which is a little bit more inside and the inside shoulder of the offensive line? Yeah, so... All, all of that stuff just has to do with spacing. Like, it, there, there's a bunch of defenses that do a bunch of stuff. Um, you can see that, like, you you really can tell the difference between coaching on the defensive line more than anything else. Because you can see guys like – you can look like a, a Pat Narduzzi uh, defensive end, right? And they play a yeah. lot of, like – they play field and they play boundary and it's, like, very specific and there's certain stances and things like that. That's why when you watch a, a pass rusher like Ewan Price out of Pittsburgh, I can tell you that Ewan Price is going against every every coach that he has right now when he, he's getting into a stance because he doesn't change his stance when he flips side to side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just a lot of spacing and things like that. It's a lot more important in college where these offensive tackles and guards are flared out so much because of the spread and because boundary and field are so different. Um, where that, that, you know, you could be 15 yards away from the sideline, right? Or you could be, what is it, like 30-something, 30 30-plus 30 right. yards off of the sideline where in the NFL you're pretty much in the middle of the field the entire time. And I got in trouble for talking about the Browns' defensive line coaching at the Senior Bowl um, in terms right. of practice speed or – teach speed and play speed. I think were the two that they said. Anyways, I I did want to bring this up. um, The importance of hips, because we always talk about hands and feet and all that kind of stuff with offensive linemen. But I think hips are more important than get recognized. Um, I think that's evident when I went down to the shrine game and actually Sam Mills jr. Was the coach down there and Carolina preaches hips, 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 because if you can bend a little bit, if you're flexible enough and you get your hips in an advantageous position in front of an offensive lineman, he can't block you, right? Yeah, I mean, so that, that's that whole thing, too, is like where I was talking about how you want to pass your shoulder, right? And all that upper body stuff, I mean, that comes from your lower body. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are with your hands. If your feet aren't moving anywhere, you can't go anywhere. Um, when you're using your hips, you're able to contort. Uh, like we say, like there's things like arm length, right, and things like that where – if you turn your shoulders and you're able to in- differentiate your shoulders from your hips and you make that one arm long, your inside long arm, uh, your inside arm long, uh, that arm is going to be longer than anyone that you're going to go against, like sticking their, both of their arms straight out. You're going to be able to get into that guy's chest. Um, everything really does come down to your feet and your hips. And if you're able yeah. to kind of limit your surface area as a pass rusher or anything, I mean, when you're exploding into the backfield, it's the same thing. Like three techniques are basically pass rushers, right? Yeah. Three techniques are essentially pass rushers. So I see those guys as the same thing. Um, if like – People talk about defensive linemen, and it's it's that. It's the guys who can get after the passer. It's three techniques. It's edge defenders. It's not nose tackles. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not five techs. The, um, the, the three techniques that always draw me to them are guys that can bend at the waist. They really are. I mean, right. it's, it's Sheldon Rankins. It's Grady Jarrett. It's yeah. um, Tanzel Smart in some situations, right? Right, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's guys that are flexible in that area because it, it does set you apart from heavy-footed, stiff offensive linemen. 
That's why when – I mean, you saw me down at the Senior Bowl. I float around and I literally only pay attention to the defensive linemen because yeah. I think there's too much going on to really have a scope of everything, so I'm just going to own one lane. And when you watch the drills – I've been down there two years now. I really think you can get a lot of, out of the one-on-one pass rushing situations, right? Uh, you can get a lot out of how they handle those combo drills, right? Yep. Uh, the, the run game drills where you have two guys that are working off. You don't know which one's going to end up blocking you. And then uh, you can get a lot out of the hoop drill where they just put the hoop on the ground right. and they make them run around in a circle because you're able to tell. I mean, that's a pseudo three cone right there. I yeah. mean, you're you're getting a look like that. Uh, I remember, uh, who was it, Dane Brugler? I can't remember if it was Dane or if it was you, uh, took a video of Javon Hargrave, the South Carolina State guy, right. uh, at the Shrine game last year. Yeah, he was another and one how, that I loved. How he was running around. He, he, he took the hoop drill and he was running around it and it was crazy. Like he's running at a 45-degree angle. Mm-hmm. Um Look! Look at look at pass rusher. Look, just Google your favorite pass rusher and type in sack. And if you like, if you see him like bending around the edge, right? He's running at like a forty-five degree angle, and that's yeah. we don't understand that these guys are like. So that is rushing through contact with your ankles outside of your shoulders, and those people are doing it at like two hundred and sixty pounds plus. Yeah, uh, Javon Hargrave, top thirty-two prospect, but went in fourth round apparently. Um, yep. I, I do want to get to, because I, I think a lot of people agree on Miles Garrett, right? Um, a lot mm. of people like Tack McKinley. Um, a lot of people like Solomon Thomas, more of these edge rushers, blah, 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 right? Um, I do want to get to someone that was extremely productive, arguably the most productive pass rusher in this class, but he's kind of split in some of draft Twitter, especially with me, it seems like. Derek Barnett out of Tennessee. Um, I watched Barnett after those three guys I mentioned, plus Tack plus Tarko Charlton, plus Miles Garrett, plus a few, plus Charles Harris, right? So maybe that kind of shifted my opinion on Derek Barnett, but I want to get your thoughts on him. Yeah, uh, your, your friend Evan Silva actually DM'd me about him because oh, he, he looked at my he looked at my rankings and was like, why are you so long on Derek Barnett? Um, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, Derek Barnett's not a bad pass rusher. I mean, Derek Barnett, last year probably after maybe Shaq lost, he, he would have been right around Shaq Lawson for like edge two for me. Yeah. Uh, in last year's class, it's just this year's class is just so damn deep. Um, I I think he has issues getting off the ball. His explosion isn't bad, but it's not good. And if you're talking about a first round pass rusher, uh, like I said, you got to win in two two inside steps. Two inside steps, you got to get an offensive lineman off of his platform, out of sync with that quarterback. Uh, Derek Barnett is a snap jumper. He led uh, the NCAA. You know, he's the most productive three-year sack artist in college football history, I want to say. Um, but he also led the NCAA in penalties this past year, or at least pass rushers uh, in penalties last year. And the reason for it is he's a snap jumper. Uh, and you look at snap jumpers, I mean, he's a dude who plays at Tennessee, right? So he's getting all these extra home games, okay? One. Two, he's playing in front of 100,000 people. And college, <laughs> the college audience is totally different than the NFL audience, right? Um, if you want to look at a snap jumper in the NFL, one of them is, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I guess you'd say perpetrators, right, would be Michael Bennett. And Michael Bennett's a great player. Uh, he plays, you know, he has a very specific role that people kind of know already. Um, but, I mean, he gets to play in Seattle. You know what I mean? And he gets to play with the lead, with the crazy, you know, crazy fans behind him. Yeah. I think that helped Derek Barnett more than people are actually realizing. Um, that's why I was talking. Who was I talking about? Someone. Oh, Charles Harris, right? So oh. Charles Harris, he's a guy who has, he has great burst off the line of scrimmage. He Incredible. doesn't have great. He doesn't have great bend, but he has passable bend, right? Yeah. Derek Barnett has passable explosion off the line of scrimmage and great bend. 
but Charles Harris is better overall than Derek Barnett is, if that makes any sense at yeah, all. Yeah, and like I think when you put the two together, uh, Charles Harris is more valuable, at least in my opinion. And sacks can be tough to dissect and differentiate. Um, I, I would say that Barnett's, many of them will come um, because he has a great motor. Um, and you mentioned snap They'll come jumpers. later in the down. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. He's, he has consistent, like, persistent bend. Yeah. Like that's 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 the that's basically the scouting report on Derek Barnett. You mentioned pass rushers, uh, excuse me, snap jumpers, and I don't want to rub a sore wound, but Jarrell Worthy always jumps out to me as one of like the the greatest, yeah, well, not greatest, the worst snap jumpers of all time. Well, I you, think, you I think tell, his entire tell, game was built on it. You could you could tell at the combine, like the combine doesn't lie. That's that's one thing that people are crazy about, where they're like, yeah, that guy's not actually that fast. Like, what do you mean he's not? He's right. literally that fast. He's literally <laughs> that fast. It's right. Like, and then people, and then and then he knows it. Like if he doesn't do it again at the pro day, he's like, "Yep, that that is me. I am that fast." Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. That's why I don't know. We explained this already. Where this really is, for the most part, you can tell what a pass rusher is going to be based on his athletic profile and yeah. what type of production he can do at the at twenty three years old. Um, and the combine is just such a huge huge right. moment for a lot of these guys and there's the whole argument of like well is it functional is it not i, I mean that's not exactly what i'm comparing it against right i'm comparing it against right. other guys that have done this in the past um right. I, I did want to conclude here on positional value you mentioned earlier about mario addison who's given like seven and a half eight million per year now um from the panthers he will be 30 years old prior to next season um has just one season this last year of above six sacks um to me just as this screams hey draft pass rushers because if any of them their contracts are about to end if you have to try to find some free agency and we saw it last year you have to really really pay heavily if you want any type of talent out there at the pass rushing spot yeah well i mean we saw there, there was no rumors about melvin ingram getting a tag up until adam Schefter kind of broke it and he was probably is there's jason pierre paul there's chandler jones and then there was melvin ingram i think i think if you would ask most of the media to rank free agent pass rushers he probably would have been third and say and uh i guess los angeles now the los angeles chargers slapped him with a tag the best pass rusher right now on the open market is nick perry and he had an 11 sack season after a prove it deal after being drafted in the first round after testing the open market last year um and number two might be jabal sherd who is one of the probably top five second round edge rushers in the past decade and is going into his second uh his second tested free agency is like 26 years old or something like that. So like, if you want to talk about the pass rusher market, like no good pass rusher basically ever gets to touch free agency. Olivier Vernon just got $85 million. Yeah. Like that's more <laughs> than that's, that's more. I think that's, uh, someone tweeted something out where there's like Adrian Peterson relative to every running back ever. Like, I think that that Vernon contract is worth two, two entire careers of every running back that has ever existed uh other than adrian peterson so when you look at you you look at like i did this little study this past week where people were talking about jamal adams being drafted at four with jacksonville right and reuben foster going number two to the san francisco 49ers and i was looking at the numbers and things like that and being like okay so what people don't understand is you're drafting a player, but those those contracts still hold value. I mean, Jerry Goff got uh, $27.5 million guaranteed the moment he signed on that dotted line. Right. And for a quarterback, that's 16th, right? That's the 16th most amount of guaranteed money in the NFL right now. Um, for a safety, that'd be number one. For a linebacker, that'd be number one. So if you're, if you're drafting a guy that high and you're giving him that money and he's going to be an average quarterback, 
you're coming away with a wash, right? right? But if you're drafting a safety that high or a linebacker that high, if he's not the best linebacker or the best safety in the league, you're getting under market value on it. Wow. So are you really saying that only draft quarterbacks, only draft maybe wide receivers and pass and, and pass rushers, and that's about it at that spot? You could, like you could sell me on five? offensive linemen. You okay. can sell me on offensive linemen, just not in this draft class. I don't think you could take a receiver this high either. Right. Um, I think if you're looking at this specific draft class, guys you're taking that high have to change something, right? So quarterbacks can change can change how your offense goes completely, right? Uh, pass rushers can do the same thing, defensive linemen, whatever you want to call them, line of scrimmage defenders, right? Um, I think in this draft class there are two other guys on the defensive side of the ball that could really – that are worth top five picks, in my opinion. And one of them's Marshawn Lattimore at Ohio State. I think the way he moves is crazy. Um, the way he's playing press zone, he plays press man. They basically they hang him out to dry a lot, and his athleticism just wins. Like you, uh, like I was saying earlier, teams like uh, the Jets, Arizona, uh, Buffalo under Rex Ryan, right? Those teams, you live and die off of how good you are in man-to-man coverage. I right. think with a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, uh, that's a guy who can shut people down. Look at the Jets when they had a healthy, when they had a competent Revis, as opposed to when they did not have a competent so, Revis. And the and, giant swing of that. And to your point, like last year, Ezekiel Elliott, he was the fourth pick, right? Is that right? Or is he the third yeah, yeah, pick? Yeah. One of those two. Um, $6.2 million per year is his contract. It's fully guaranteed. But let's just do the average per year, right? Um, okay. For cornerbacks, that puts him around a Devon House, a Buster Screen, right? And just, uh, salary per year right um mm-hmm. Jalen ramsey we can see who was the i think i guess the next pick 5.8 um in terms of a safety so that's like really far down the list i think that's like 20 right. something right for the safety at that six point something number that's around eric weddle aaron williams rodney mcleod cam chancellor right so it's yep. it, it really does drastically change and then you're giving them average guaranteed and at that six point whatever they will easily be the highest average guaranteed per year safety in the NFL. So it's, it's a right. drastic change between the two. And just this actually leads me to another point where I want to make that um, we talk about tall, long, athletic, speedy safeties um, that then will get corner looks because the corner position is just valued, at least contra- contractually, much higher than the safety spot. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing it with the kid out of UConn, right? I, I don't know his name. Obi Melifonwu? Yeah, he's a defensive back. I don't I don't really love those guys. Other than Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, oh, you. I forgot to make my second point. Oh, sorry. Uh, the other guy. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Malik Hooker, the yep. free safety out of Ohio State. He's another guy. Look at Seattle, right? If you're talking about – you, ha- all these players have to be within a specific framework if they're going to – they have to have a transcendent talent and a transcendent scheme to be worth a top five pick, right? So like Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott right now, he has the most guaranteed money of any running back in the NFL yep. as, the t- as the fourth overall pick. Um, but he was a freak athlete who was a proven star, right, going behind that offensive line. So like a team like San Diego, for example, right, a team that's – their defensive coordinator is Gus Bradley. You're going to assume they're going to have a free sa- – they have a free safety uh, need, and it's probably – it's the most stressed – free safety position in the sport right and look at what seattle what look at what seattle looked like with and without earl thomas right so if i think i think malik hooker can be that type of center fielder right and in that scheme that's really important so, so outside of quarterback line of scrimmage defenders marshawn Lattimore, and malik hooker i think those are the best players in this draft class and i feel like you mentioned this on twitter if what if 
Malik Hooker measures in at 6'1", with 32-plus-inch arms, and runs sub-4-4 four four in the 4-4s. Four like, is he then going to get corner looks as well? Like, T.J. Green did last year, like a few others. I mean, Demarius Randall. I don't know Demarius exactly Randall. what his, his yep. numbers were. But, I mean, it just seems like, again, tr- contractually, that tall, long, speedy safeties get converted to corner because those are just tough to come by, those types of corners. Yeah, even Namdi Asamoah. Namdi Asamoah was yeah. a safety at California guy and ended up getting moved to corner too. Uh, that's that's just kind of how it goes. If you if you crack four fours and you're safety, guess what? You're a corner now. Like the only time <laughs> the only time that it didn't happen, right, was Earl Thomas. And the reason for it, Earl Thomas is because of his size. I mean, Earl Thomas, I, I know this because I, I coached with a guy down in Beaumont, Texas, who coached in conference against Earl Thomas down in high school. Uh, Earl Thomas was a high school safety. Uh Texas recruited him was going to, I guess he's like the craziest high school safety ever. Like this dude, right. He's seen all these kids out of Texas goes down to state championships. And he says, Earl Thomas is the best high school player that he's ever seen in his life. Um, so Earl Thomas goes to the university of Texas. They're trying him out at cornerback. They realize how tall he is. And they're like, Oh, you're going to be a safety. And then that, that's that. Like, that's just kind of how that ended up. You ended up with a freak athlete who should be a cornerback by every measurement possible other than height. And he ends up playing center field and he ends up having a, you know, huge plus value for the Seattle Seahawks. But even then, so like Earl, Earl Thomas, I think he's getting he's getting nine or ten per. But it's the exact same deal that Sammy Shields got at cornerback for the Packers. And it shows you the so difference. Like, One guy at the top of his position and then right. Sam Shields, who, who is quite good when healthy. Good. But. You know, little, little up and down. I think Sam, Sam Shields had something crazy where it was like since he entered the league, the only cornerback with more interceptions than him was like was uh, Richard Sherman. But he was a guy who was like, man, you're going to live and die with Sham, Sam Shields with that scoreboard behind him. Yeah. Um, Justice, this has been fun. Um, everyone out there, you can follow Justice on Twitter. It's at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Uh, again, Force Players Work, which you can check out. I probably after what the three cones and 20 yard short shuttles get posted for edge and defensive linemen like a month after the combine and that how it typically works yeah um, <laughs> yeah i gotta get all i gotta get like the official 10 splits and all that stuff so it'll yeah. be a while but y'all could, y'all could pretty much figure it out if a if a dude runs around seven a seven second three cone he's probably good oh really like that is the barometer just that one at, it's, at, at it's, a certain weight obviously yeah, at a certain way, it kind of depends a little bit. But, I mean, there, there's huge – people don't understand that the variance in three cones is way yeah. different than the variance in 40 times because people stress training 40 times and things like that. So they're they're training explosive linear movement, right? But, like, you'll have a dude run a three cone and it will be, like, a half-second difference than another pass rusher. And this is in my combine preview, but every year – because the three cone – like, everyone always talks about individual – uh, measurements and individual results and how that shows athleticism. But there's kind of like two positions that really can show it, or there's a correlation between like the top testers and then solid careers. It's 20 yard short shuttle for offensive linemen. Then here are your three cones, the best since 2006 for pass rushers. I mean, this is 12 of the top 16. Okay. Or yeah. Uh, Sam Acho, Bruce Irvin, Von Miller, Trent Murphy, Melvin Ingram, Coney Ely, Barkevius Mingo, Connor Barwin, J.J. Watt, Joey Bosa, Devin Taylor, Brian Robeson, and that's 12 of the top 16, right? And then just after that at 6.9 seconds is Cliff Averill, Clay Matthews, and I think Vic Beasley was at 6.91 seconds. So like you're saying, um, under 7 for an edge rusher is pretty dang good. So again, force players, check it out. And Setting the Edge podcast <laughs> with Justice uh, and that guy named Charles McDonald, whoever he is. Anything else you need to plug? 
Uh, that that's it. Um, yeah, just go go on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to Setting the Edge podcast. We only do five star reviews. We got one one star review. We don't talk to that person anymore. We have more five star reviews than Peter King of Monday Morning Quarterback, who had a two hour interview with Tom Brady on his podcast. Uh, so yeah, the the brand's booming. The the brand is booming for sure. Uh, just go yeah, go do that. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, peer pressure your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us five star reviews. Peer pressure is undefeated and it works. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, you should. I'm just going to clip that and use it for our show every week. Uh, Justin, this has been <laughs> fun. Thanks so much. And for everyone out there, again, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for rating and reviewing. I guess oh, we only do five star reviews now. Um, and be sure to check out the Roto World draft section and NFL section throughout the NFL Combine because we'll have content, hashtag, and lots of blurbs. So until next time, talk to you all soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.